the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, or, or as the passage says, 5,000 men. And, and as a lot of stories like this we hear growing up, um, the, being so familiar with it can easily tempt us to say, yeah, we know it, we get the point, and then move on. I'm excited this morning to dig into this a little deeper because I think there's a lot to it. And when, just, just for the sake of honesty, when I was a <clears throat> child growing up hearing this story, I, and even now sometimes I, I hear stories like this and there's a lot of questions that would come up. And for me, this was not only one of the most familiar, but it was one of the most unbelievable stories. And I don't mean like unbelievable, like that's unbelievable. I mean, like, I don't believe that. How, how can I believe that? Uh, and I've always been kind of skeptical about things. Uh, and I know the word of God is true, especially now when I'm sure of my faith in Christ. I know his word is firm. It's, it's authoritative. It is the only thing I, I believe is absolutely true in this world. And so this, this story has to be true. And some people have taken it and, and tried to justify some things or move some stuff around. And some commentaries even say, well, what had really happened was Jesus demonstrated this generosity, this sharing, and it inspired everyone else to begin to share what they had, and so everyone was able to eat and was full. In fact, there was leftovers, and that's, actually, that's an actual belief. But I think there's too much evidence in this passage, even if you just read it in English, to dispute that, and so it can't be that. But beyond just doubting that it's real, I think there's something unique here to cause that doubt in me. Because it's not just Jesus doing a miracle. As we see him turning water to wine, as we see him calming the storm, as we see casting out demons, even raising the dead, this is, these, those things are totally mysterious to me. Like it's Jesus, power, something happens. It's totally mysterious to me and I can't figure it out. And so the only thing that you can really doubt is if it happened or not. For this feeding of all these people, I think there's more to the situation to doubt. For example... If you read in, in John's telling of this story, he talks about there's a boy there with the five loaves of bread and the two fish. And so I'm supposed to believe that of all these people, only one good mother sent her son with a packed lunch, right? That's hard for me to believe. Or, or how about five loaves? What's the one kid doing with five loaves? <laughs> that seems like a little much. But of course, just understanding history, these loaves are not a pack of Wonder Bread. It's... They're actually very small. It's like a smashed biscuit, basically. It's pita bread, kind of. Barley loaf is, is much smaller, so it actually makes sense. It's a common snack. The fish were probably pickled fish. That's what they did to preserve them. So pickled fish and loaves, it's a good snack for a kid. Anyway, so there's other things to doubt. There's other things to figure out. But what's most mysterious to me about this, what's most peculiar about the whole situation, is that Jesus is not just doing something miraculous. He's utilizing the disciples to accomplish something miraculous. What's, so what's, what, what I find most difficult to, to grip is the fact that Jesus says, what do we have? They bring all that they have. He says a blessing, and then he gives it back to them to disseminate. He, he does this miraculous thing through the hands of his disciples. And it's strange. It's unlike what we've seen him do before. I mean, it was weird when the lady with the issue of blood touched him and got her healing. But it, for me, it's more difficult to see God would use these, these unqualified, 
doubters to accomplish this miraculous thing. They're not prepared for it. They don't expect it at all. There's no reason for them to expect he would do this miracle. They just do what he says and he accomplishes something that's remarkable. And so after, after thinking about that for a while, before I even opened a commentary, because it's exciting, Jared and I talked this morning, it's exciting to do something so familiar and then read a commentary and see, oh, I don't know this story at all. It's, it's good. Before I even did that, I considered the fact that it would have made more sense to me if Jesus would have just caused manna to fall from heaven like God has done before for his people. It would have made more sense. That was miraculous. I can't explain it. It's mysterious. But Jesus did it. And he caused manna to, to rain down. In fact, Jesus could have just taken away their hunger. Like he didn't even have to feed them. He could have just said, no longer hungry, and, it, and just kept teaching. So there's some, there's some questions to be asked. Why did it happen the way it happened? And I think that we'll see that when we dig in a little deeper. So let's go Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles. Now, this is an interesting fact. The apostles, the word apostle is the only time Mark uses it. He usually just refers to these 12 as disciples. But apostles is significant of being sent out. We learned earlier in this chapter, a few weeks ago, the sermon was on him sending out these disciples. So these sent ones are now coming back. So the, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. And they went away to the boat, in the boat, the boat, so it's not just any random boat. This is a boat that probably belongs to them. They travel a lot in it. They went away to the boat, to a desolate place by themselves. Now, this, for me, is a very comforting thing that's happening, that Jesus would take these disciples who are weary from their ministry, who have returned to him, telling of all that's been going on, and he would say to them, Let's get away. Let's go find some rest. Now, for someone who stays anxious, for me, I'm anxious to get work done, to do well, to, and I sinfully desire to impress everyone and prove myself to everyone. So for me to stop in moments like the disciples are experiencing right now and to, to go to Jesus, to go with Jesus, to rest is incredibly significant. For God to put this here, for Mark to write it down as a part of this story is incredibly significant for us to see Rest is imperative. That we must rest. And, and what's more is it's not just a picture of rest, but it's rest with Jesus. It's not just we do this mission for Jesus. We do this mission with Jesus. It's not that we find our rest in Netflix or in board games or in video games. It's we find our rest in Jesus. We're not just taking a break from life. We're not checking out of the mission. You're always on mission and we go with Him to rest. So they set out to find a place to rest. It says they're searching, they're searching for a desolate place. So they're going into the hill country. They're in the boat. It's common that boats would travel not just across the sea, but along the shore to get location. So they get in the boat. They're going probably up north where it's, there's, no one, there's no one living there. There's towns around this area, but they can find some rest. Jesus has probably passed this area before because he's traveled this land a lot. Verse 33. Now, Many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So this boat has traveled 
along the shore and the people are seeing it and they know who's in the boat. And the people are all about Jesus right now, so everyone's gathering. So imagine these this swarms of people who are, who are disabled and who are sick and who are hungry and desperate for, for healing and to be fed and to learn and to grow. And so they're, they're running along to be ahead of him, to get where he's going. And everyone's joining in. So now we have thousands of people gathering in this place that Jesus and the disciples are trying to retreat to, to get away from the crowds. The people have been coming and going and they need this time of rest and the people run ahead and they're there for them waiting. And so these people are ruining this time of rest. But Jesus doesn't respond like like we would. So imagine like you are at home with your family for dinner and your boss calls or you have employees asking you questions while you're at home having dinner with your family or a loud neighbor is interrupting your Sunday nap. Right? Dorm room, ruckuses on the weekends. I remember college. I was actually the guy causing the noise. So I felt the anger that I would have felt if I was in the other position. Or, or maybe it's you're on vacation, but you didn't get your work done, so you have to take it with you. Or, or you're on staycation, and you're having to deal with family drama. Or you're dealing with other people's drama when you just want some me time. I mean... You're losing internet connection when you're trying to watch Netflix. I don't, that doesn't really apply, but I want to include everyone. So you feel this feeling of being perturbed, right? This, you're interrupting my rest, which is probably indicative of you resting wrongly because Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, it says Jesus has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And, they began, and he began to teach them many things. So despite the fact that he's at this place to get a break, to have rest with his disciples and everyone showing up, he begins to teach them many things. Because as always, he makes time for the needy. Even if it's inconvenient. He he's sees this massive crowd without a shepherd. And he has compassion for their need. They're desperate. They've run ahead. To be there waiting on him. They're desperate for all that he can offer them. And he sees it. And he takes note of it. And he responds by doing what good teachers do. And he teaches them. Their desire for direction. For purpose. For healing. For help. For hope. Is obvious. And Jesus responds by giving it to them. And he he makes a clear statement. Though he's emphasized that rest is important. He makes a clear statement that preaching truth takes precedent over rest. And it's imperative that we preach truth always in every opportunity. And we find rest in Christ, but the truth takes precedent. Verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So it's getting late. They've been there a while. We don't know how long. We don't know everything Jesus has taught, but apparently he's taught a lot of things because the sun's starting to set. Dinner's approaching. We don't have anything to do. Disciples are probably thinking, okay, we still want to get that rest in that you mentioned earlier. So if we can maybe send them away, it sounds like a good time right now because sun's setting. they got to eat. So it makes sense. And it, w- it wouldn't even cross their mind that Jesus is going to do a miracle right now because they're surrounding villages. They have food. Let's just let them go get their food. So it's actually a reasonable suggestion. Jesus, hey, 
Let's get that rest in and let's let these people go eat and we can pick this up tomorrow. It makes sense. Yet Jesus disagrees as he often does with our planning and what we think is best, what we think makes sense. And there's there's no reason to expect it to be anything else but what's practical, what's logical for the disciples. But Jesus responds and he answers them and says, you give them something to eat, which is no doubt confusing for the disciples. In fact, their response when they say, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat is not a question that they actually think he's going to answer. It's a rhetorical question. They, that's a lot of money. That, that's 200 days worth of labor. So even if they were to pull their money together, that's a lot of money. Surely they're not thinking we're actually going to do that. What are you supposed to do, Jesus? You want us to take our money and go buy all these people food? And so totally ignoring their, their uh, question, he says to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, we have five and two fish. So here we have thousands of people. We have five loaves of, of bread and two fish. It wasn't even enough for the disciples to eat. But he says, command them all to sit down in groups upon the green grass. Now, you can continue to read there, but this, this terminology, sit down in groups, it's actually significant because it's, an, it's a, a colloquial, it's an idiom that they use for sit down in groups. This is actually one word, and it's literally translated company, not like the Coca-Cola company, but like I'm having company over for dinner tonight. So this idea of community, let's get around the table, and the way they would use it is for drinking parties and for banquets. Let's Let's have company. Let's get together. Let's sit down together. And it's no mistake that Jesus is using it in, in this situation, but it's probably very confusing to the disciples. So all we have, Jesus, is five loaves of bread and these two fish. And his response, good, let's have them all sit down. It's time to eat. Let's feast. As if he's not already seen as crazy enough. The disciples who, who think the most logical thing is to go and have them buy their own food, make a sarcastic statement like, what are we supposed to buy them food? Obey Jesus anyway, bring together all that they can find, which we know by, from John that it's this boy's lunch. And his response is, let's get ready to feast. Let's get ready to eat. Time to have company. And then we see the miracle. Verse 40. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, which, which alludes to Moses sitting the Israelites down in groups and grouping them, and takes the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Now Jesus, like we, we say blessings of our food, we pray, we give thanks. Jesus only does this twice. He does it now. Well, in Mark's telling, he does it now and he does it again. Later we'll read the, the feeding of the 4,000. And then he does it at the communion table. He blesses the food at the communion table. So this idea of praying, giving thanks for our food, blessing the food as we call it, it comes from the Bible, but it comes when Jesus is doing something incredibly significant, when he's about to do a very miraculous thing. He takes the five loaves, the two fish, looks up to heaven, blesses it, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate... And we're satisfied. And they look up 
And they took up the twelve baskets full, broken pieces, and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. So the word they use for men is, is specific. It's talking about the, just the men. So this is common in this culture to, to just count things by the men. But when we include the women, we're, we're going to assume that there's as many women as there is men, as most cultures are. So 10,000 people. And then we include the children. And they had a lot of children because they had no way to not, not have a lot of children yet. Technology wasn't quite there. So a lot of kids. We're talking 15, 20, some even would suggest 30,000, maybe more. There's, there's thousands and thousands of people here. And Jesus takes five loaves, two fish, and feeds them all. It's not, let the, how familiar this is go by. Okay, this is incredible. This is incredible that Jesus would take five loaves of bread, two fish, and feed thousands of people. Maybe you've been to sporting events, or you've been to, to concerts, or you've been to Anywhere where there's a lot of people and you've seen the crowds and, and picture in your head. I, I googled images of this many people just to get a picture of it. I thought to when I was at Passion sitting in the, the Georgia Dome packed out with 40,000 people. And they actually fed us Jason's Deli box by box. But they had far more than five loaves and two fish. This is incredible. One commentary I read mentioned how he's creating this. It's not just he... He made colognes, okay? He's creating something out of nothing. Five loaves, two bread, and he just starts handing it out. He just keeps handing it out. He just keeps going. So these people are experiencing something, this new created food. These are fish that have never swam in the ocean. These are, this is bread that was never planted and grown and crushed and baked. It's, this is a new creation. This is better than anything they've ever experienced. It's not only was it a miracle that they all were fed, but this is probably the best food these people have ever tasted in their lives. And they ate till they were satisfied. And all of this actually happened if we believe the Bible's true. Jesus was a real man walking the earth with his disciples, and this miraculous thing actually happened. It's phenomenal. It would be too easy for us to see it at face value and say, okay, we get the point. Jesus is powerful. He has control over creation. He can do the impossible, which is what I've always done when I read this story. It's, it's something I'm impressed by for sure. But I, I don't often think, how does it apply to me? How does the feeding of the 5,000 plus apply to us? What does this story mean for us? I think it's true. Yes, God is powerful. God is great. God is in control. But the application has to be and he uses that power, that greatness, that control to provide for his sheep. That our God is a God of provision. That our God sees our need and provides. Last week, if you were here, I shared my story. And all throughout my story is laced Images and pictures and demonstrations of God's provision because I, I lived a life where not everything was handed to me and I, and I can easily look back and try to take credit for some of those things, even some of the decisions that I felt like I made. But, but when I'm honest, it had to have been God. In fact, most clearly to me, even at, as a, at a young age right now, most clearly to me when I look at my life, it's not really what I planned. I wanted some of these things. I wanted to be married. I wanted to be a dad. I even wanted to be a preacher. But the things in my life 
aren't exactly what I planned for them to be because there was a lot of things I wouldn't have endured. There was a lot of things I wouldn't have decided if not for God providing. And the, and the truth is, it doesn't seem like God cares if I approve or agree with His plan. And I would say that's true for everyone. Though I often sinfully get frustrated by that, it's the truth. And I've learned to be grateful for it because I, I wouldn't be in Monroe if it was up to me. When I graduated, I would have got married and I would have moved somewhere else. It, and I would not have decided to be a youth pastor at a traditional Southern Baptist church that was in decline. I wouldn't have... I would never want to be a youth pastor, as a side note, ever. I just would never have decided that. Totally had to be God. And I wouldn't, honestly, probably wouldn't even be Southern Baptist. I wouldn't be in seminary. It was never part of my plan to go to seminary. And, and I wouldn't have been a church planter. I wouldn't know you find people because of all of that. And so when I look at it, I, I see God moving me and positioning me and allowing me to hear things and learn things encounter people that I, I would have not encountered had it been totally up to me. If I, if I wasn't in Monroe, I wouldn't have taken the job at, at First Monroe, and I wouldn't have met the students there and taken them on trips and encountered some, some beautiful uh, works of, of sacrifice and service on mission with them and encountered some people who influenced me in some ways who I still have a relationship with and learned some things from some people that brought me to understanding better what it means to be centered around the gospel. And, and I always thought church planning was good, but it wasn't for here because we have tons of churches that just need revitalizing. God, be about that work. And I wouldn't have encountered some things, some literature and some conversations that brought me to this understanding that church planting revitalizes dying churches. It, it's one and the same. It's how the church grows and it brings health to everyone. And it's a beautiful work. And so if it were totally up to me, the things that I said I wouldn't have done, I would have totally missed out on what God is doing right now. I wouldn't be at all the person you're seeing right now. I, I, I see that I could have, I could take credit for those decisions. I could say, well, I, yeah, I decided that I chose to do that. But it's not what I wanted. I wouldn't have chosen it. Maybe if I even came to the logical conclusion of my own, it wasn't my logic that brought me there. It was God's blessing of giving me the ability to process information and I don't even know all the things that he taught me along the way from preachers and from things I read that brought me to an understanding that would cause me to choose the things I chose. God provided all of that that brought me to be who I am. And I'm so grateful. But not even looking at just decisions that I made. Let's consider the things that were totally out of my control. I would never have chosen before I was created. I would, I would not have chosen to be biracial. Because... It's caused me to, to struggle. It's caused some issues. It's caused some, some identity struggles. In fact, I, I at times have felt like the embodiment of a, a major social conflict in our nation. This, this black versus white is who I am. I wouldn't have chosen that for myself. I wouldn't have chosen to be poor. I wouldn't have chosen for my father to abandon me. I wouldn't have decided any harm. I would, I would never want to experience anything painful physically or emotional. I would never have wanted that for me. I wouldn't want that for anyone I love. Let's just say no pain for everybody if it were up to me. I mean, just think, if you had the ability, if you had the power to choose pain or no pain, which one are you going to pick? Yet our sovereign God has allowed me, and I would say even provided pain for me. 
He's disciplined me in ways that I would never have chosen. And I have to stand here grateful that my God has provided those things when I look back at my story. Because he's a God who provides. And there were difficult things. All the things I named, I said I wouldn't choose. They were difficult. And I wouldn't have chosen them. But I wouldn't dare remove any of them from my story. Because I look back and I see the good that God has done. I see the person he has made me. Charles Spurgeon says, it is a good thing to be without a trouble, but it's a better thing to have a trouble and know how to get grace enough to bear it. It's because of the difficulties that God provided that I'm able to see how good grace is. It's because of the things I deserve that I'm able to cherish God giving me all the things I don't deserve, like growth from the difficulty. And as a child of God, I know that all things that come against me are to discipline me, to to refine me, to sanctify me to the glory of my King. And I desire God's glory more than I desire anything. So even if I wouldn't choose the things that I experience, if I knew it would glorify God, I'd choose it every time. In life, we face many trials. And the story of the feeding of all these people, the provision of our God encourages this very simple and beautiful truth our Lord provides. No matter what we're facing, Jesus will provide all that you need. So if you're dealing right now with hating yourself, the Lord provides freedom with His love. If you're struggling with any sort of addiction or dependence on anything, whether it be a substance or pornography or a desire for everyone to love you and want to be like you and want to be with you, the Lord provides freedom from that with His goodness because He's all that we need. If it's anxiety, the Lord provides freedom with His greatness. He's gloriously giving you hope. He's gracious in every circumstance. And if it's financial struggle, the Lord provides with His faithfulness, with with the the difficulty of racial oppression that's so prevalent right now, the Lord provides reconciliation by His grace. The compulsive arrogance that we suffer from, the Lord provides. Feelings of inadequacy, the Lord provides. Whether it's doubt, depression, anger, shame, discouragement, fear of abandonment, fear of failure, the Lord will provide. No matter what it is, no matter how long you've struggled with it, no matter how fearful you are that you'll never overcome it, no matter how impossible it seems, no matter how many times you've logically tried to think through, how do I fix this problem? It's not in your hands. God is in control and he is faithful always to provide. Even if we think he doesn't need to, he will provide. Even if it's things we would never choose for ourselves, he provides because he knows what's good for you. And he has given you all that you need in himself. Now, it may not be today that he provides It may not be tomorrow, this year. It could could be that it's not even in your lifetime that you're providing what you need to overcome whatever you're struggling with. But Christ has done everything necessary to bring you home. That you could be with Him forever. That you could be freed from the struggle. The struggle of everyday life. That you could endure long enough to be with Him and free from the presence of sin altogether. One day. So child of God, church member, persevere. Push through. Fight the good fight. These things we see all throughout Scripture are given to us with the hope that God provides always. There's no promise right now that everything's going to be taken care of. In fact, it's a false gospel to say 
You're going to be rich and healthy here and now. But the hope is that Christ has done all that's necessary for us to be satisfied in Him and enjoy our God here and now and forever, no matter the circumstance. One thing we must understand about this is that His provision is always first and foremost for His namesake. It's always about the glory of God. Now, this is a, a theme throughout Scripture that we've, I've actually preached a sermon on before. God is good. You can look it up. But, or you could read or listen to anything John Piper says. It's always about the glory of God. And, and then it's about our good. In fact, God being glorified is for our good. So though the circumstance, what we're dealing with may not, we wouldn't deem it good or wouldn't think or feel like it's good. It's certainly for our good. The provision of our God is always for our good. So God does provide joy and peace and satisfaction. And, and sometimes he provides a situation that causes us and positions us to trust him. Sometimes the Lord's provision is difficulty. So that we can be sanctified, so that we can be disciplined so that we can be drawn to the point of despair and seeing He is the only solution. Sometimes the provision is a situation like there's a, there's a lot of people here and we have no way of feeding them. So clearly in this story, Jesus provided these disciples. He was not caught off guard by anything that went on. He provided these disciples with an opportunity to trust Him. Just as He provides us with an opportunity to trust Him. And had they remembered who they were with, and when he asked them, what do you have? They wouldn't have just said, five loaves and two fish. They would have said, five loaves, two fish, and a guy who does miraculous things. It's, it's realizing that we have Jesus that is, that's key to seeing we have hope in, in times of desperation. We have hope in times of sadness. It's realizing he's with us every step of this mission. He's gone with us even to rest. And we may not be feeding a multitude, but we are dealing with a multitude of difficult decisions. We're dealing with many things that we don't have answers for. We're dealing with situations that cause us anxiety and stress. And Jesus is there all along. If we believe we have a sovereign God, we are forced with either cursing Him in those times or trusting Him in those times. Just as the disciples could have said, Jesus, you're crazy. This isn't enough to sit them down. We can't feed them. But instead, they trusted Him. There's no doubt that sin has brought about pain. But God provides the opportunity in the midst of our pain to trust Him. And God also provides us instructions to obey. And so with the disciples, He told them, have them all sit down. He said, go find what we have. And though they had no reason to, to do these things, we didn't understand it logically, they did what He said to do. And as they obeyed the clear instructions, we have this, this Word of God, this clear instruction, this something to stand firm on, to know is true, to see what God has called us to be and to do, and to see He has provided everything necessary for us to trust that we obey. And in our obedience, God, through our hands, as He did the disciples, through our work, through our mission, through us focusing on what God has called us to do and obeying and trusting, He does miraculous things. 
When we look at Monroe and we see the hopelessness, we see the despair, we see the brokenness, I often mourn over the needs of our nation, now more than ever, looking at the the political options, looking at the the racial division, looking at the hunger and the desperate need for for some type of hope that we see in in the faces of the people we encounter. We are the church. We are these disciples. We may not have anything but two fish and five loaves of bread, but we are with Jesus. And he will use our efforts. He will use our works to glorify himself and for our good. And he will accomplish miraculous things because he is a God who provides always. It's our joy and our privilege to be his body. It's a joy to obey even when we don't understand. Because he is faithful. To provide. And most significantly in all of this, God provides the, the things we need to feel comforted by Him. He provides the, the situations that we need to trust Him. He provides the instructions that we need to obey. But most significantly, God has provided Himself in Jesus Christ, the bread of life. So, why didn't Jesus just call down manna from heaven? Why didn't He just take away their hunger? He, he looks to the disciples and asks, hey, what do we have? What do we have to work with? Show me what we got. And he, he makes a point to say, hey, look, don't, don't just look to me to do a miracle. Don't just look to the logical thing to do, to send them to go get some food. Look at what we have. Look to see what's right here. What do we have to work with? Let's take time as a church to look at what has God given us Who do we have? What gifts are in this room? But then let's look to Jesus. Because he doesn't make bread rain from heaven like he did once before. There's no need for bread to rain from heaven because Jesus is the bread from heaven. He's already there. We're not looking for someone to do something beyond us. We're looking for God to do things through us because we have the bread of life. There's hungry people and they're in need of sustenance. They're in need of something that lasts. They're in need of something that truly satisfies. The bread of life that we are indulging in and keeping to ourselves. And and we make the mistake even now to apply this only to the individual. This isn't about you and learning that God provides for you. This is about learning God provides, period, for all. It says all ate, all were satisfied. And so as a church, we apply this, not just as individuals. He's carrying out something through the work of the church to bring life, to bring bring bread to the hungry. And he's caring for the physical needs, but Jesus is making a profound spiritual point. He gives them what only he can give them, and he does it through his disciples. Jesus didn't come just to give bread to the hungry. He came to be bread for the hungry. John 6, 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Only he can be what satisfies. Not any handout we can give. Not any good work that we can do. Only Jesus So let's do the good work. Let's give the handouts. But let's do so 
empowered by, to, to the glory of Jesus. In fact, this meal for the thousands in itself is pointing backwards to the work of God in, in Moses feeding the hungry and when manna did rain down. But it's also pointing forward to a meal that Jesus is going to have with the twelve. So God provides for the twelve tribes of Israel. God provides for the thousands here through Jesus and it's foreshadowing of, of God showing His provision in Christ when they sit down and they have communion with Christ and He says to them, I'm the bread of life. Eat and have life. And, and this is the only miracle. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle besides the resurrection of Christ that it's, it's present in all four Gospels. And it's significant. It's not just because it's awesome, though it is. It's because it's tying together these things. That the old is meeting the new. And it's forever all that we need. That Jesus will forever be all that we need. And so his communion with thousands and and with the twelve is the very same thing we share every Sunday morning when we take communion together. That we are being reminded of this miraculous thing. We're being reminded of the life that we find in Christ. The coming of this one who will forever satisfy. And guys, the Lord provides. Church, the Lord provides. Our triune God provides. He is Himself the provision. He is our sure hope. He is our peace. He is our freedom. He is our satisfaction. He is the joy in our suffering. He is the bread of life, the living water, our comforter, our counselor, our rescue, our refuge, our redeemer. He is the hope for restoration. He's our loving father and our friend who's closer than anybody else and closer than even a brother. He is our advocate. He knows our need. He experienced our pain. And he has a plan to end the suffering. He is sovereign over everything, over every circumstance, over every moment, over every breath we take. Our God is in control and he can be trusted and we trust him fully. Because it's in Him that we find what faithfulness means. It's in Him that we find what grace is. And we have read it. We have seen it. We've heard it. We've experienced it. We've felt it. Our God is real. Our God is faithful. Our God is the provision of everything we need. And He satisfies us deeply when everything else leaves us empty. He brings hope to the hopeless. When when they're desperately seeking for hope in everything else. We have a knowledge of it, but church, let's believe it. Let's believe our God is faithful. The story is true. Our Christ is risen. He's done everything necessary to provide us everything we need. And from the depths of His grace, our Lord has richly provided. And He is all we need. In Him, we find all we need. Even if we have nothing to give, we find all we need. Our daily bread. And we can stand grateful and we can stand satisfied for the one who is great and the one who satisfies has given himself to us to overcome every obstacle. And as a church, we believe this, not just as individuals. As a church, we come together believing this is true. So as the crossing church, we're about to take communion and it unites us with our Father. It unites us through Christ It gives us everything we need. This one truth that God provides for us to bring as a church to people who need to know this very thing. So don't hear this sermon and make it simply a personal application. 
Let's look and see what we need to do as a church to believe this truth. To see that within the crossing church, God has given us everything we need. Not, every, not any one person here has everything we need. But God has given us each other to be encouraged, to, to see what's true and to move to action believing what's true. To band together on mission as a family of servants. We go forth seeing God is faithful, seeing God provides, knowing that the world needs to know God provides. And it doesn't matter what you've acquired for yourself. It doesn't matter what we look around and try to scrap together. Well, we got five loaves and two fish. What matters is Jesus is with us and he'll use whatever we have to offer. If they had a a piece of bread, like a flake of bread and and a fish scale, it doesn't matter what they brought to him. Bring it together. Let's see what we have. And let's trust our God to use our hands and to use our feet to be the body of Christ. And be willing to give up whatever you have to see King Jesus rule and reign in the hearts of the many that we encounter every day. Let's pray. Father, I stand here convicted of my own inability to trust and believe convicted of my failure to see that you provide and then trust you to provide. And I know, God, I'm not alone in this as we stand as, and as many individuals in this room who doubt and struggle to believe you can provide, to see that you are the bread of life. I pray that you would comfort us even now to feel it and to know it's true. And Lord, unite us as we take communion, as we give to this mission not just our, our money, but our efforts and our, our, our strengths and our ambitions. And, and we sacrifice our selfish desires as we come together. Lord, let us be your church. Let the crossing church be humbled by knowing we have very little to offer. But we have a faithful God who has united us and given us all that we need to bring food, to bring the bread of life to a hungry people. And so let us, like these disciples, work hard, even if we don't have time to rest. Let us work hard to do this. But Lord, thank you that even when it's all said and done, we will be left with plenty. We will be left with plenty to rest in. Having Christ, all that we need. Let us go and be faithful to this mission, obeying and trusting your provision. In Jesus' name, amen.